You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Good morning, Redemption. Uh, I want to get right at things this week as we have a ton to cover. We're going to be covering the entire chapter of uh, Ruth 3. And... uh, uh, Christianity lost a great man this last week with the passing of Rabbi Zacharias. He was an amazing apologist and God used him mightily in the strengthening of his church and in using him to help people come to faith in Christ. And he said the following about beliefs. He said, we have a right to believe whatever we want, but not everything we believe is right. Our, our, our life is lived out in faith, but our faith is not based on nothing. It is not full of dreams that are made up in our minds where we just wish, if we just wish for it enough, it'll come into existence. No, our faith is built on the truth of the Word of God, whose truth is eternal and does not change. Rabbi Zacharias also said this, In its essence, faith is a confidence in the person of Jesus Christ and in His power, so that when His power does not serve my end, my confidence in Him remains because of who He is. Faith for the Christian is a response of trust based on who Jesus Christ claimed to be, and it results in a life that brings both mind and heart in a commitment of love to Him. Our faith in Christ results in a changed life. It results in a life lived according to His Word instead of our will. And this is what we're going to see displayed in Ruth chapter 3 today. Our faith is based on what the Word of God says. If you have your Bibles with you, or if you don't have a Bible, try to download one. I want to just encourage us all to turn to Ruth chapter 3 this morning and uh, look at the text together. Uh, As you turn there, as you download your app, I want to just um, remind us of where we came from in Ruth chapter 2. At the beginning of the chapter, uh, Naomi's not in a great spot. Uh, She's just stated where uh, where her heart is at at the end of chapter 1. She's bitter. Uh, She doesn't uh, believe that there's blessing coming. But by the end of the day, blessing had come to that house. As Naomi went out, or sorry, as Ruth went out of the house and uh, went and sought to find a field where she could glean, the Lord guided her and led her to the field of Boaz. And so as she comes home with this uh, heap of grain, which was about two weeks worth of grain uh, for an average household, they see that God is taking care of them. And not only is he taking care of them in this way, but Naomi begins to think maybe there's going to be something more because the field where she went is this guy by the name of Boaz, and he's a redeemer. And so there may be more coming up. And so as we ended Ruth chapter 2, verse 23, it says this, So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So she went to the fields for the next two months, gleaning in those fields. She stuck, she stuck close to the, to the ladies there. And she continued to fulfill her commitment to Naomi. She lived with her. But now we're kind of left with, well, what's going to happen with Boaz and Ruth? That's the focus of this chapter. And as we study, we'll see that living by faith requires more than just sitting around and hoping. We will see that faith is active and ordered. We will see that faith requires courage as it often contains some risk. 
We will see four activities required to be courageously faithful to the Lord. And the first thing that we see is planning in faith by the Word. You and I need to be planning in faith by the Word, the Word of God. We see this in verses 1 to 4. Verse 1 says this, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? For the last two months, Naomi has been patiently waiting to see what might develop between Ruth and Boaz. She loves her daughter-in-law. We've seen that throughout this book, even back in chapter 1, when she's uh, desiring that both Orpah and Ruth go home. It's because of her love for them. She, she thinks that it's best for them to go back to Moab and to find husbands there and to find rest by finding a husband. Well, now she wants to find rest for her in a different way through this man, Boaz. As a married woman, her whole life would be different than as a widow. And she would be protected by her husband. She would be provided for. There would be a sense of permanence in her life, being married as opposed to the uncertainties that she lived with even now. Naomi longs for a better life for Ruth. She wants it to be well with her. It would not have been out of place in this culture for Naomi to feel compelled to help Ruth in this way. Not only does she love her as she is, as if she were her own daughter, but Ruth was not from Israel and only having lived there for the last two months, she would have not necessarily known exactly all the customs of Israel as much as Naomi would. Block also suggested that culturally, this would be Naomi's duty to see her welfare and security taken care of. And as we go through this chapter, we should be struck by the way that everyone conducts themselves. They are committed to the good of those around them. Everyone is acting for the benefit of the other, and all involved are doing so out of their love for the Lord. This passage is a great example for you and I. Naomi now gives the plan. Verse 2, Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. The author doesn't told us what's happened over the last two months between Boaz and Ruth, but Naomi believes now is the time to act. Now is the time to, to see if Boaz indeed will become the kinsman redeemer. That's why she's referring, it, the author refers here to Boaz being the relative. That's, that's what's going on. If you look back in chapter 2, verse 20, it says, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And so because he's a redeemer... And because she's been around Boaz's young women, in other words, there's the implication here, that they didn't just see each other that one day that we read about in chapter 2. He's seen her for the last two months. He knows who she is. And so as a result of that, Naomi is saying, based on the word of God in Deuteronomy 25, perhaps now is the time for you to be redeemed. Now is the time for us to see whether or not Boaz will fulfill his, his responsibility as a redeemer. And again, they're basing this off of Deuteronomy chapter 25. Now, Naomi knows that Boaz is going to be working that night. We're not told how she got the intel, right? But she knows. She, he's going to be working, working winnowing barley, right? You guys know what that is, right? But winnowing barley, we all 
do that. Okay, what is that, right? And just in case you don't know, I didn't know, um, it basically would be like taking the barley and throwing it up in the air. And as they threw it up in the air, the chaff would blow away. Likely a slot is done at the evening because that was when the best winds would have been for this kind of thing. Not too strong, not too light, but just a, a nice breeze where the chaff would blow away. And then it was, of course, done on a threshing floor. A threshing floor was a a, 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 a rocky area uh, where where they, the grain would not be, as it fall to the ground, would not be... Um, would not get dirty, would not get dirt on it. So that's what's going on there. They're on this uh, hilltop, Lakely, uh, where there's rocks, there's good winds, and uh, this is where, where Boaz could be found. So now she continues with her plan. Verse 3, Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. She's to make herself ready to go and meet Boaz. Now, I found it really fascinating as I was studying this week. There's, there's one group of commentators that think one thing about this verse, and there's another group of commentators that think something totally different. Now, the one side, they think, well, you know, she's doing what, you know, a, a typical woman today would do. She's getting herself all diddied up, right? She's she's cleaning up. She's putting on her nicest perfume. She's putting on maybe her, you know, in our day, putting on her prettiest dress or prettiest outfit, whatever. And, and she's going to go woo Boaz. That's what some people think is being said here. But I don't think that's necessarily what's happening here. I think that... What Ruth is saying is that the time for mourning is over. If you uh, look at uh, for 2 Samuel 12, 20, after King David, after his son had died, after he had time of mourning, he did these three things. He went and washed, he anointed himself, and he put on some clo new clothes. I think this is what is being communicated here. The time for mourning is over. The time is over for for you to, to the time it's now for you to remove your mourning clothes. Likely she would have maybe still been wearing them even to work. Time is for that to be over and to begin a new stage in your life. It's time for you to say, I'm willing and open to be married. And so I think that's what's going on here. It's not Naomi kind of coming up with some seductive plan for that evening for Boaz. I think that, that there's a whole lot more than that going on here. A whole lot more of righteousness going on. So she's supposed to get ready. She's supposed to go, and but not, she's supposed to see where he's at, wait for him to finish eating and drinking. And then verse 4, she's supposed to wait a little bit longer. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. So she's supposed to wait until he's gone to sleep, and then she's to uncover his feet and lie down. What is she supposed to do next? Well, she's supposed to wait on what Boaz will tell her to do. That's the game plan Naomi has. Now, we have to admit that this plan seems a little bizarre, right? For you and I, it seems a little bizarre. Like, what is going on here? What is fascinating, though, is to consider the events of this night versus the beginning of the Moabite people. Now, back in Genesis 19, we see Lot and his family 
uh, are, are being rescued out of Sodom and Gomorrah. But what happens is his wife turns around and, and she dies. And the men that, that Lot's daughters were supposed to marry, they think it's all a big joke, that this isn't real. They stick around and they also die. And so now Lot and his two daughters are off on their own in very similar circumstances to where Ruth is at right now. She's lost her husband. Her hope for a new husband doesn't seem uh, to be a lot. And, and yet she is trusting the Lord. These two gals, Lot's daughters, didn't trust the Lord. And they went to their father at night after he had drank. In fact, they made sure he had enough to drink so that he was drunk. And then both of them lay with their father. And that was the result of the Moabite people. That's where they came from. God is redeeming this situation. I think that's what's being said here. God is, this night will be very different than that event. Instead, this Moabite woman is going to do the righteous thing. And instead of gross immorality happening on that night, there will be righteous actions happening. Some suggestions have been made, again, by these commentators who think this, there's something seductive going on here, uh, that these words um, un uncovering his feet, uh, lying down, all have some sexual innuendos with them. Now, to be fair to these commentators, that there are different texts in the Bible where these words are used for sexual innuendos. But again, I don't think that's what's going on. I think what's simply going on is that she's being told, listen, you come, you lay down, you uncover his feet, and as the night goes on, eventually he'll get cold because his feet are uncovered, and he'll wake up. And you lay down. Why? Because, um, because he's... You don't, want to, you don't want to startle him in such a way because of the fact of what he's doing. He's looking after um, his grain. And we're going to look more at that in just a moment. So the plan here is based on God's word, not sinful intentions. Faith requires that we plan according to what the word of God says. Proverbs 16.3 says this, Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. I love that section of scripture that Trenton read earlier. It just gives us such a great picture of, of the way God and his sovereignty works through our planning. And uh, again, just encourage you maybe to look at that again later. A commentator Prime says this, Naomi's logic is revealed in these verses. Ruth was young. She needed a husband. Boaz was a kinsman who was favorably deposed to her. That night, there was an opportunity. Naomi was exercising the logic of faith, putting God's word side by side with the circumstances God had brought about. She used her mind to determine a course of action in harmony with God's revealed will. It is a reminder that God has given us minds that are able to reason and think things through. And this night, we will see God glorified as each person acts in righteousness. But it begins with them making plans based off of God's word. Redemption. Is that how you live your life? Do you make your plans based off of God's word? Young people, as you consider this passage and, and marriage and who you will marry, I pray that you would do what they're doing here. 
that you would consider what God's word says about who you should marry and then what marriage is all about. You're not ready to be married until you're ready to, be f- to fulfill the role of a husband or a wife. And the kind of person that you should marry is a person who loves the Lord. And so I just want to encourage you to look to God's word in that most important, only second to your faith in the Lord, your, your most important decision you'll make on this earth. And then when it comes to the rest of us as believers, maybe those of us who are already married, how do you make your plans? Do you use God's word as your guide? For example, uh, Matthew 28 tells us that you and I are to go into all the world and make disciples. What's your plan for that? Do you have a plan? How are you making disciples? In your home and then outside your home. And then there are other things that the Word calls us to do. We're we're called to love our neighbors as ourselves. What's your plan for that? When it comes to the body of Christ, we're, we're called to encourage one another. How, what's your plan for that? And is it uh, according to the Word of God? And so I just want to encourage all of us that as we walk in faith to the Lord, there needs to be a planning in faith, and it needs to be according to the Word of God. The second activity required to courageously be faithful to the Lord is walking in faith. Walking in faith. We need to obey the Word. We need to obey the Word. Verse 5, it says this, And she replied, All that you say, I will do. It is one one thing to say that we believe what the Word of God says. It is another thing to live accordingly, to take action based on its instruction. Naomi has a plan based on what the Word of God says, and Ruth says, I will do what you say. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Again, uh, commentator Prime says this, The knowledge that God is sovereign and will fulfill all his plans should not keep us from taking action. On the contrary, it should result in us taking initiatives on the basis of what he tells us in his word. Banks Accepts, sorry, banks accept standing orders from customers, instructing that certain payments are to be made until instructions are given to the contrary. God's word contains unchanging standing orders, his standing instructions for his people. As we read them, he calls us with the enabling of the indwelling Holy Spirit to apply them to the circumstances of our lives. And so God's word Oftentimes we're like, well, I don't know, what's God's will for my life? It's found right here. It's found right in God's word. These are the standing orders for us. And they will be until he returns. And so you and I ought to live in such a way where we're not just hearing the word of God, but we're living according to the word of God. As we've already seen in the book of Ruth, Ruth is a woman who lives out her faith and takes action. It was her initiative that took her, out to, took her out to the fields in Ruth chapter 2. She's the kind of person who does nothing half-heartedly. We see it in her work ethic, and we see it here in her obedience. She does it wholeheartedly. 
Again, what a great example for you and I. No half-heartedness in this woman's faith. Again, that's how our faith should be. Verse 6, So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. Again, she's following the plan as Naomi instructed. Verse 7, And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. The reason that Boaz would remain overnight is signaled by where he is laying down. He stays overnight so that his grain will not be robbed in the night while no one's there. Again, the threshing floor wasn't, there wouldn't have been a lot of people around. It would have been up on the hill. And so someone needed to stick around as a bodyguard for the grain. And so he's doing that. We're told he had a good meal, some good wine. And we're told that his heart is merry. Uh, some translations say that his heart was cheerful. In other words, he's in a great mood. After all those years of famine, there's plenty of reason to celebrate. The Lord has been faithful. He has visited his people and given them food. Tired after a long day, he lays down to sleep for the night. Now is the time for Ruth to come and implement the next step of the plan. We are told that she comes in softly so that Boaz would not be awakened, and then she uncovers her feet, his feet and lays down. Can you imagine the scene? Ruth carrying out the plan took great courage. How will Boaz respond? Did anyone else see her make her way up to the threshing floor? She may have thought to herself, how long will I need to lay here before he wakes up? Surely he will wake up, right? He's not one of those kind of men who sleeps through everything, is he? She may have been comforted by the fact that he was there to guard the grain, so he must not be that sound of a sleeper. Was she scared that she might fall asleep herself while she waited for the time to pass by? Well, certainly some time did pass by. We read in verse 8, At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Again, just let your imagination go here. Can you imagine, right? He's laying there. He's having a great sleep. And, and, and all of a sudden, he comes aware that someone is there, right? It startled him, as it says here. I, I can remember in 1999, I was in Mozambique. And um, yeah, I, was, I was sleeping in this small trailer, and there were some goats nearby. And it was like 1 or 2 in the morning, and all of a sudden I hear like this bleeding of goats. And, and I'm like, that's, that's, that's unusual. And also, like, I just woke up uh, startled, knowing that something was going on. And so I went running out to see, like, flash, showing my flashlight, ever, see if I could catch the person who was trying to steal the sheep. And, and eventually some other guys came along, and we gathered all the goats up, and we got them put away. And thankfully, no goats were missing. The, lo- the lock had been cut off. But, but I can still remember that adrenaline rush. It made me think of this text, like, <laughs> where, like, you're like on high alert instantly. And he looks down and, and there's this woman laying there. Now, it's dark enough, he doesn't know who it is, but maybe it's the perfume, I don't know. Maybe that's why he knows it's a woman. But he says this in verse nine, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. Here we see Ruth was truly a woman who pursued the Lord. The whole plan that Naomi had given her has gone off the rails, right? The whole plan was 
You lay there, he'll wake up, and then he will tell you what to do. Instead, he's woken up like, what in the world's happening? And, and, and so she quickly responds by telling him two things. First, she says that she is his servant. Again, we see this humble posture of Ruth. And the interesting though here, she uses a different word than she'd used earlier. She used the Hebrew word ama, which means handmaid, rather than the word sifa, which was like a not even really worthy to be called your servant. She no longer refers to herself as a lower class servant, but rather, as Hubbard puts it, she identified herself among those eligible for marriage. She then asked Boaz, would he spread his wings over his servant? Some translate it, spread the corner of your garment over me or spread your covering over your maid. We're given insight as to what she is referring to when she ends the sentence by explaining, for you are a redeemer. So whatever this covering over is to mean, it has to be connected to the fact that he is the redeemer. Well, if we look back at chapter 2, verse 12, the same word is used there. In the ESV, they translate it, wings of God. Boaz had commended Ruth, that that she had sought protection under the wings of the God of Israel. And now Ruth is asking Boaz if he would be the answer to his own prayers, if he would be that protector and provider for Ruth. Hubbard gives a little insight here. It says, it probably reflects a marriage custom still attested among Arabs, whereby a man symbolically took a wife by throwing a garment corner over her. This picture of, now I'm following under this man's protection. And this is what she's asking. We might think, well, why does she just come out with it? Well, perhaps she believed that Boaz had feelings for her, but because of the age difference, he had never said anything. Perhaps because of the strangeness of the situation, she wants to be crystal clear what her intentions are. She wants him to know that she is there for righteous reasons. She desires that he would marry her, that she could come under his provision and his protection. I entitled this sermon, Faith in the Fearless. Because of the courage that I see throughout this text, It took Ruth significant courage that night to do what she did. She had no idea as to how Boaz would answer, but she took the step of faith based on the biblical premise of the Redeemer. Ruth's faith is on display in the same way that she has entrusted herself to the Lord God. She's asking that Boaz be the one to take care of her. Her actions reveal her theology. We can say we believe something, but our actions and our words reveal what we really believe. Ferguson says this, we cannot hide what we really believe God is like. Our personal disposition is an unending expression of our understanding of and trust in his character. How we live, how we respond to challenges, crises, and trials reveals what we really believe about God, what we really think deep down about him. Ruth, in coming to Israel and and casting herself on, on the Lord God, 
She is, she is showing herself that she believes that this God is faithful. And over the last two months, she's seen his faithfulness over and over again. And so even in this, she's saying, I believe that God is faithful. I don't know what the answer will be, but I believe that God is faithful. I'm going to entrust myself to him. What about you? What are your actions saying about what you really believe about God during this time? Are you walking in faith? Are you walking in obedience to the word of God, even when it is hard? Even when there is risk involved? Even when you don't know what the consequences of walking faithfully will be? Is your daily drive to walk by faith and not by sight? Jonathan Edwards, when he was young, he resolved to do many things. This was one of the things that he resolved to do. He resolved to never do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, less or more, but what tends to the glory of God. In other words, he said, I, I want to do whatever I do each and every day. I want it to be for the glory of God. This should be the focus of you and I as we walk in faith. Lord, how can I bring glory to you today? I long to walk in obedience to all that you're asking me to do. I desire to walk in the power of your spirit rather than walking in the weakness of my flesh. One more thing that we can be that we said about Ruth here before moving on. She's also acting out of love for Naomi here. In the same way that Naomi had acted out of love for Ruth and saying, I, I desire that you find rest. Now Ruth is saying, I desire that you would redeem me so that Naomi could be taken care of. Again, we see this, this great act of love by each individual in this account. It's a great example of love and faith walking hand in hand. A great example of a person walking in faith in obedience to the word. Well, the third thing that we see here, four activities required to be courageously faithful to the Lord. Third, responding in faith. Know the word. Know the word. Know the word such that when things happen in life, you know exactly what the word of God says about that. We see this in Boaz's response. Verse 10, and he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. I listened to uh, John Piper's sermon on this text uh, last week and uh, I, I was just uh, struck by his humor when he was going through these verses. He said, you know, Boaz, can you please stop calling her your daughter? Right? Like, like there's like, it starts to get uncomfortable, but why is he doing that? Because of this age difference, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, it could have been anywhere from 20 to 30 years age difference. And Boaz believes that, that that's, it's too much of an age difference. But I love, again, just note, look, remember, he's been awake for like 30 seconds by this point, right? Like he's just woken up, he doesn't, and he's got, Ruth's like, hey, would you marry me? Like basically, they would put in today's language. And he, the first thing that comes out of his mouth is a blessing by the Lord. What an example. His first reaction is to think of what the Lord would want in this situation. And then he says, you've made this last kindness greater than the first. 
If you remember, again, looking back into chapter one, he commands Ruth because of her kindness to Naomi and the way that she had taken care of her. And he's saying, this kindness, now you thinking that I could be your redeemer, this is even a greater kindness than that. And again, now we see a little bit of a picture into his heart and mind here. You have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. The implication here is that, Ruth, I know that you could get any other man. I, I think we're seeing a little bit into his, what his heart really was towards Ruth. He loved her, but he didn't think that an old guy like her, like him, would be anyone that she would be interested in. You've not gone after young men, poor, whether poor or rich, and she could have. The natural thing would have been for Ruth to do that. And you're like, I don't know what the customs are here, but I need to find a man, and uh, I need to, you know, whether, whether that's you know, one way or the other, I, I'm just going to do that. And unfortunately, I've seen that happen a lot over uh, my time in ministry where, where people just get to the point where like, I just need companionship. I don't care what God's word says anymore. I'm just going to do what I want to do. But that's not Ruth here. She's a great woman of God. And she's, she's showing this kindness to this man and saying, would you be my redeemer? As John Piper said in his sermon, sometimes it can be hard for an older man to confess his love to a younger woman, especially when that man is a righteous man. And he says in verse 11, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. He doesn't need to stop and think about it. Like, I don't know, you know, would we be compatible? Like, he's like, no, I'm, I'm ready, right? I, I'll do what you ask. And he, he's, he's reassuring her in how he says it. Do not fear. In other words, I am committed to you, Ruth. That's a great word, men. Men who are not yet married. To communicate clearly to a woman what your intentions are. In fact, um, when it comes to that, I, I would want to just encourage you, when it's time for commitment, tell her, it, it, I, I'm committed to you. Let, let your woman know that you're dating, that you're committed to her, and then proceed accordingly. The, the idea of dating for years and years and years, unless you started dating when you're like, you know, grade seven or something, you should, you should not string your, your girlfriend along. You should let her know your commitment to her. Anything else would, is not healthy. Now, I get there's some exceptions to that, but I just want to encourage you as men to follow Boaz's ex example here. Again, we see that Boaz has high praise for Ruth. He's like, everybody in town knows that you are a worthy woman, right? Like, I'm not the only one thinking this. Everyone knows this. You're a worthy woman. She personifies excellence. She is a virtuous woman. This same word that's used here is used of the ideal wife in Proverbs 31. And what's interesting that in uh, some Hebrew uh, versions of the Bible, there, the, the book of Ruth follows right after Proverbs, uh, which would ends in Proverbs 31. MacArthur highlighted in the MacArthur Study Bible just, just the parallels here. One, she was devoted to her family, just like the woman described in Proverbs 31. 
She's delighted in her work. She's diligent in her labor. She's dedicated to godly speech. She's dependent on God. She dressed with care. She was discreet with men and she delivered blessings. She is the personification of the virtuous woman. Boaz, in chapter 2, verse 1, had also been highlighted as a man of virtue. This couple may be separated by years, they may be separated by cultures, but they are very compatible when it comes to their character and their love for the Lord. And that matters more than anything else. Verse 12, And now it is true that I am your Redeemer, yet there is a Redeemer nearer than I. What? Right? Like, when you read that, do you want to say, no, 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 no. Like, like, why did you have to bring that up, Boaz? Like, like just, we want a happy ending here, right? Like, you, you, we, clearly you have feelings for her. She's just said, hey, will you be my redeemer? Why are you bringing this up? Well, it's because he's a righteous man. And righteous men don't take shortcuts when it comes to doing the right thing. Sometimes we're tempted to do that in our flesh. But when we take shortcuts with the truth, it no longer is the truth, and we are no longer walking in righteousness. Again, consider consider the courage it took for Boaz to bring this up. His flesh must have been crying out, wow, this is amazing. I'm going to get married after all these years. Well, sure, there's another Redeemer, but, you know, Ruth didn't go to him. She came to me. Besides that, he probably wouldn't be interested anyway, and, and on and on the excuses could have been. But not this man. He responds in righteousness. He knows the right thing to do because he knows the Word of God intimately. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, can I once again exhort you based on this godly example? When you are tempted to cut corners, don't. Don't do it. Choose God's ways. Do you trust Him? Then Do you trust Him? Then take all His counsel and not just the parts that you like. In your finances, do not cheat. Do not lie. Walk in integrity before the Lord. In your relationships, conduct yourselves with purity and in love. Do not gossip. Do not envy. Do not commit immorality. And on and on it goes. When the temptations come, as they did here for Boaz, do not compromise. I don't know where you're at today. I just want to encourage you, exhort you today. If you're feeling tempted in any way to cut corners with what God's Word says, repent of that and follow fully after Him, trusting fully in the Lord. That's what Boaz is doing here. He's putting his trust fully in the Lord. Verse 13. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lay down until the morning. And so Boaz gives the very clear plan. Tomorrow, he's going to get it all figured out. If the other man is willing to redeem her, then so be it. But if he won't, then as the Lord lives, in other words, he's making an oath, I will redeem you. And then he tells her to lay down. Why? Well, because it's like 1230 at night, one o'clock in the morning by this time, who knows what time it is exactly. But that's when the riffraff of society is out. And so he said, it's not safe for her to leave right yet. Just lay down until the morning. And so she lay at his feet until the morning. 
but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not, let it be, not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Boaz, being a man of integrity, he wants to protect her integrity. And so they both lay there until morning. Uh, again, as my imagination thought about this text, I don't imagine either of them got a whole lot of sleep that night, right? But Boaz is laying there thinking, okay, who, okay, where's this guy at? How can I find him? What do I need to do to, to make this a, a, a legal ceremony so that one way or the other, we can determine who's going to redeem Ruth? So he's thinking about that. There's probably some anxiousness, some excitement in the whole thing. And then there's Ruth, right? Like, who is this the other guy? Like, she doesn't even know. But again, because she's a godly woman, she said, okay, like, this is the plan. She isn't like, hey, wait a minute. I'm not okay with this plan. She's trusting herself to the Lord. But again, her mind must have been swirling. Like, I'm getting married, but to who? Right? But they come up with this plan now. Okay, so it's early morning. Let's get you out of here before anyone knows that you came here. And he says to her, bring the garment you are wearing and holding it out and hold it out. So she held it out and he, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city. Most commentators believe she probably had two garments on as she came there. And she, so she takes out this uh, 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 off this outer garment and she holds it out and he starts piling the grain on. And, and, and we're told here it's six measures of barley. The reason they put six measures is because the exact measurement isn't put in the text. Now, last week we seen this uh, measurement term of ephah, but if six measurements of ephah were done here, that's like 200 pounds of grain. So highly unlikely that he's piling up 200 pounds of grain on her. But sia is probably the more likely measurement, but this is still like 60 to 80 pounds of barley that he's loading into this shawl or whatever it is. And then we can see that it's a lot of weight because he helps put it on her, whether it was on her back or, or whether it's on her shoulder or as some cultures carry on her head. We don't know exactly, but he puts it on her and then she goes home. How encouraged are you as you watch this godly couple interact with one another? Their focus is on what the right thing to do is and then they do it, right? They're not letting their flesh uh, dictate this in any way but they're thinking about what is the righteous thing and then they do it. Just like the one who had come through their line much later, Jesus Christ. When Jesus came to this earth, he came for one purpose, to do the will of the Father. And he walked in righteousness and faithfulness, even doing the right thing when it meant going to the cross. Even when there was great sacrifice involved, he did it because of the will of the Father. And as a result of that, you and I can have a relationship with the Lord. You and I can be redeemed. You and I can have our sins forgiven because Jesus did the right thing. Rabbi Zacharias, again, he says this, unless I understand the cross, I cannot understand why my commitment to what is right must take precedence over what I prefer. And so when we're tempted to, like, I don't know, I really want to do my thing, keep your eyes on the cross, remembering because Jesus did the right thing, you and I are now reconciled to him. And let us walk accordingly. As Christians, when we consider the tremendous sacrifice that Jesus made so that we might be forgiven our sins, we are able to take courage to do the right thing because of what he's done for us. 
Ferguson, again, looking back at Boaz, he says, Boaz is an outstanding example of a biblically instructed man who makes wise, instinctive responses in a critical situation. He knows how to apply the principles of guidance found in Scripture. In other words, he thinks biblically. He's affirmed his love for Ruth, but he loves God more, and he must do what is the right thing if he is to love Ruth in a way that would be pleasing to God. He willingly puts his trust in the Lord that God's purposes might be fulfilled in God's time. He lives a life of integrity while fighting to protect Ruth's integrity. He knows the word of God well enough that when, he is put on, when the pressure is put on, he instinctively responds in a godly way. He is the personification of what it says in Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Boaz is a great example of that. Both Ruth and Boaz are so exemplary in this text. They are men and women that you and I ought to be like as we seek to follow the Lord. They are God-centered, other-centered, and they walk in obedience to the responsibilities that have been brought their way. Well, one more thing we want to look at quickly. Four activities that are required to be courageously faithful to the Lord. Lastly, waiting in faith. Trust the word. Waiting in faith. Trust the word. Verse 16, And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her. Again, Naomi, how much sleep did she get that night as she's waiting there? Well, she hasn't come back yet. What is going on? What has happened? And she's anxious to know. And so she says, again, in this loving term, how did you fare, my daughter? And Ruth tells her all that the man had done for her. In other words, all his kindness and grace that he had shown to her. And then, he, and then she says this in verse 17, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. In other words, he, he wants her to know. He wants Naomi to know that he understands what she is asking, what Ruth is asking. And he wants her to know that, Ruth, or no, Naomi, I know back in Ruth 1, you said that you came empty. You went away from Bethlehem full, but you came back empty. That will never be the case for you again. I'm taking care of you uh, through this food, and I will take care of you by determining who will be the Redeemer, whether I will be the Redeemer or this other man. And so Naomi replies, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. He's going to get it figured out today, but we just need to wait now and we just need to be patient. And sometimes that's what God calls us to do. He calls us to be still, to know that he is God, and just wait and be patient. Now, some of you might be thinking like, well, for a day, I could have done that for a day, but do you know how long I've been waiting for the Lord to answer my prayer? Maybe you can relate more to other people in the Bible. Sometimes God will ask us to wait much longer. Maybe you can relate to Hannah in 1 Samuel 1, where she longed to have a child, and year after year, she came to worship without a child, and the weight of that burden just was so great upon her. But then eventually the Lord answered her prayer. Then there was Rebecca, Isaac's wife. She prayed that she could have a child, and for 20 years 
she was barren before she finally had the twins. Sometimes God will ask us to wait, but he is a God worth waiting on. He loves you. He cares for you. And he's asking you to trust him, to be patient as you wait upon him. Trust his word. Trust his word. Psalm 37, 4 to 7 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Redemption. Let's live like Boaz and Ruth in this text. Let's live a life of faith planning, walking, and responding, and waiting in faith as you live according to the Word of God. If we do that, the result is that you and I will be courageous, we'll be faithful, we'll be people who love as Christ loved us, and we'll be people who bring glory to God in all that we do. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for this time together this morning. God, what, a, what an amazing example that we see here. People who are focused on walking in obedience to your word, people who are focused on what is the loving thing to do here, people who are not focused on themselves but on, on those around them. God, we pray that you would give us faith like this, faith to, to take the steps of, of uh, uh, when we need to, even when we're, we're not sure what the results will be, even when we're not sure, uh, God, how you will answer, God, but taking the steps of faith. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to plan our lives according to your word. Help us to daily be walking in faithfulness to you and obedience to your word. God, help us to respond to whatever situations we find ourselves in in a biblical way. And then, Lord, help us to wait upon you. And right now, Lord, I, I can't help but think that maybe that's the thing that is jumping out to us more than anything. Lord, we're, we're just, we're getting restless. We want to get on with life again in a, in a way that we're used to. But God, you're asking us to wait, maybe. God, help us. Lord, help us to wait on your timing. Help us to be walking in faithfulness in, in this day, not looking too far ahead, but walking in faithfulness to you this day so that your name might be honored and glorified. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.